Welcome to episode 130 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode is going to be my second week of coverage of Superman 2, the second of two weeks. And while last week I talked about the Superman 2 proper, what's commonly referred to as the Lester Cut, this week I'm going to be covering Superman 2, the Richard Donner Cut, which was released in 2006. And later on in the podcast, I will be joined by two guests who you'll recognize from Superman the Movie Month. I will be joined by Patrick Delmore and Dario Gonzalez. And yeah, I suppose I could have done this later in the podcast when I get to 2006, which is when the Donner Cut was released. But since I was doing Superman 2, now I figured I'd get it out of the way. And uh, as really, they're both 1980 films, even though this was put together in 2005, 2006. But before I get to this week's coverage, I have some feedback to address. I got feedback here from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in an episode... 119, which I talked to my buddy Tom about the extended cut of Superman the movie. Greetings, Mike and Tom Benyon. First, let me congratulate you on surpassing J. David Weider and Bob Fisher's combined episode count on the Superman Forever Radio podcast, which currently stands at 117. So, to paraphrase Bill Murray's character in the movie Caddyshack, we got that going for you, which is nice. Second, I love the stories of you and Tom bonding over Lois and Clark and Superman in general. Nerdy fandom is a great basis for starting friendships, I think. I made one of my first friends in high school, and we're still friends to this day, when I saw him drawing a kind of knockoff version of an X-Men comic. I've always been a big DC fan, but, but I would read pretty much any comic I could get my hands on, from DC to Marvel to Archie to Charlton to Gold Key to Harvey to Classics Illustrated. He and I started talking comics and discovered all sorts of other things in common. Similarly, I became friends with one of my teaching colleagues, Doc G., Many years ago, when on a long drive, he started talking about a comic book cover that he half remembered, but thought might simply have been a figment of his imagination. It was the very memorable and striking cover of Batman 156, cover dated June 1963, featuring the story Robin Dies at Dawn. He was astonished when I told him that it was, in fact, a real comic, and outlined the story for him from memory. This was the beginning of a long and fun friendship, and he was actually part of my wedding party. It was fun hearing you talk about the things in the extended cut that weren't in the theatrical version, or director's cut, and how Tom thought the long version his dad had recorded was the actual movie, and the version he saw on TV had been cut drastically. That's a very different perspective, as you noted, from that of us oldsters who saw it in its original theatrical release. I liked how you said in your discussion of the ending when Superman went back in time that we are not theoretical physicists, which I think also came up in last week's episode with Scott Gardner and Gene Hendricks. And a short time later, you said, I don't think Donner made any other movies with time travel because I don't think he understands how it works. I laughed out loud when I heard you say that because my teaching colleague, Doc G, and I would often discuss different Star Trek novels, and once he remarked about some plot point in one of them, that's not how warp drive works, to which I replied, you know, 
Warp drive doesn't work at all. It's fiction. He was an English teacher and should have grasped that idea. So when you said, I don't think Donner understands how time travel works, I had the same reaction. Time travel, as far as we know, doesn't work at all. Since it's fictional, or at best, a theoretical idea, I think the director gets to decide how he wants to portray it. Thank you for a most enjoyable series of episodes on this wonderful movie. You've made this October pretty special. And I hope you had as much fun making these episodes as I did listening to them. I hope your move goes smoothly as possible, and I look forward to your return from hiatus whenever you get back to the microphone. Remember that real life takes precedence, so take things in their own time. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, thank you, Dave, for writing in, as obviously my hiatus has been over for some months now, and I'm very happy to be back behind the microphone talking about all kinds of, uh, you know... It was hard after Superman the Movie Month to kind of get back into the Super Friends and uh, after the season of the World's Greatest Super Friends and especially the uh, the shorts, which I think are of a lesser quality than anything put forth before that I've covered. It, it, was, really, it was a really nice break to get into Superman 2 and to have these uh, two episodes kind of break up the monotony a little bit. And I didn't go as crazy for Superman 2 as I did for Superman the Movie, but I do maintain that Superman the Movie deserved the kind of coverage I gave it. I'm happy giving Superman 2 the coverage in the formats that I'm giving it this time around. I'm not sure I could do four episodes of Superman 2 again. That was quite an undertaking. I'm glad I did it, but it was a months-long process when actually I managed to uh, knock out the Superman 2 episodes in just a couple of weeks once I got started. So just a couple points on Dave's letter. Yeah, I've talked uh, previously with Tom on the podcast about how he met over Lois and Clark, so I don't necessarily know if Tom and I talked about it on the podcast before this. I know I have talked about it, so... It was definitely good to have Tom on so we could actually talk about that on the air. And ideally, I'd love to have Tom on every episode when it gets to Lois and Clark. But work schedules being what they are, I don't necessarily know if that's possible unless we start now. But uh, I definitely plan to have him back when I get to Lois and Clark because that was really a special time for both of us. And so much of our friendship began with then all those years ago. And even though we we now live on separate parts of the country, we you know Tom and I are like brothers for life. So no matter how much time is, uh, and distance separate us, we kind of always come back right where we left off. You know, friends like that are rare. And we each have stories about the other that could never be repeated on a podcast. Just saying. And as far as, uh, his similar, Dave's similar friendship with Doc G, uh, yeah, I have vivid memories of that story. If not, definitely not the cover of Batman 156, because the first time I read Robin Dies at Dawn, it was, well, and it still is. It's not like the book went anywhere. I still have it on my bookshelf. It was in the greatest Batman stories ever told. So I don't think I ever, I really remember the, the cover, but I do remember the story. And obviously the story was re- revisited in a way during Grant Morrison's run on Batman about 10 or so years ago. Now, I want to respond to Dave's comment about time travel and whether or not it works. And hopefully I can say this without sounding too much like an idiot. But, uh... Each, you know, work of fiction has its own rules regarding time travel. And if you're going to travel through time, you kind of have to make your rules and stick with them. Most of my time travel, I don't want to call it knowledge, but the way I interpret time travel is viewed through the lens of Back to the Future, even though Back to the Future did a couple things that I disagree with. But anyway, one of the things that always stuck out at me about Richard Donner's uh, showing time travel in Superman the movie is we never really knew what happened when he went back in time. Obviously, he probably shored up the fault line to prevent the crack that nearly swallowed Lois, but allowed other things to happen, but don't necessarily know what happened after he did that. Did he, were there two Supermen at one point? Because clearly we saw him go back into into the future to his proper time, so I think the time travel in Superman the movie was kind of used more of an emotional punch than 
any kind of practicality. And I just don't think Donner established uh, sufficient rules to make us understand what was going on. That's all I've got about that, because like I mentioned in previous episodes, I am not a a theoretical physicist. I do not play one on TV. I don't even play one on this podcast. So as far as warp drive, I mean, this may not have been the case. Uh, I don't know when uh, Doc G and uh, Dave had this conversation about warp drive, but nowadays and even probably in the 90s too with the uh, technical manuals that were put out by uh i want to say what was it michael okuda or whoever put out those tech manuals uh, of the enterprise and stuff like that i'm pretty sure star trek kind of had rules about how warp drive worked that at the very least writers on the show would try to adhere to um you know star trek bends its own rules and breaks its own continuity constantly but uh if there were rules for how warp drive worked and perhaps the show was inconsistent in the in that maybe or in the books are all over the place, you know. Maybe Doc G was interpreting something so different that he said, that's not how warp, dri- warp Drive works on the way the show had told him that it worked. I don't know. Again, none of it works. It's all fiction. But maybe that's where Doc G was coming from. Maybe Star Trek was breaking its own rules and uh, Doc G was taking exception to it. I don't know. But what I do know is, right now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about the uh, background for the Superman 2 Donner cut. Hang around, folks. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators, You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, now I just have some uh, some background on the Donner Cut that I want to give you guys before I get into the uh, conversation with uh, Dario and Pat. Basically, the Donner Cut is a 2006 re-edited version of Superman 2 featuring a significant amount of lost footage shot by Richard Donner in 77 before he was fired uh, and replaced by Richard Lester, who went on to complete the film for theatrical release. I am not going to go into what happened between Donner and the Salkinds again. I discussed that at length last week with Brian Hughes and Gene Hendricks, so 
I really have little interest in revisiting that again. I'm sure I'll talk a little bit about it with uh, Pat and Dario in the next segment. So this was recut and edited by Michael Thaw, who uh, I know very little about, actually. But he kind of came forward and was interested in completing this version of the film. And uh, because in 2006, Donner's footage of uh, Marlon Brando was discovered and used in uh, Superman Returns. Some of the, uh, you know, the floaty head stuff that uh, Donner had shot, is uh, it appears in Superman Returns. So, so the cut was re-edited by Thaw under the supervision of Donner and uh, creative consultant Tom Mankiewicz. Now, it's not merely an extended cut of the film. It is an alternate version of the movie. In Tended to closely follow the shooting script that Donner and Mankiewicz were using, which is why <laughs> the ending entails Superman going back in time again. That that was a, an early criticism of people not in the know that the quote-unquote turning back time was used again in this film, when a lot of people didn't necessarily know that that was the original ending to Superman 2. And it was moved to the first film and the new ending for the second film was not shot. And it was the only thing Thor really had to work with other than using uh, the Lester super kiss. So basically for all those years between 1980 and roughly 2000, Superman 2 was Superman 2 directed by Richard Lester. And just the uh, there really was no thought of a Donner cut really at that time. Now, the prospect of creating a Donner cut gained some momentum when uh, Superman the movie was restored for its... uh, 2001 dvd release at that time about six tons of footage for superman and six tons of footage for superman 2 were discovered in vault in england by thaw and that included a lot of the quote-unquote lost footage for superman 2 filmed by donner and warner brothers approached donner to do an extended version of superman 2 but at that time he didn't want to go back to revisit the film but on the fan side things were gaining some momentum for those of you who were on um, and i'm sure many of you were on the internet around that time there was uh, a superman cinema website which was run by darmesh chowhan hope i'm saying that name correctly but for those of you who remember that site it was you know it had the pretense of being a superman in cinema website but it was mainly a christopher reeve superman site and uh I would, at that time, I would kind of visit it pretty regularly, but, and then, you know, you kind of started realizing when, uh, Smallville was going on and Superman Returns was kind of coming, it was definitely one of those places that were, that had a very narrow focus, and that's fine, you know, I'm not gonna, you like what you like, but, you know, it was one of those things where I loved the Christopher Reeve movies, and, you know, I loved them too, so I was right there with them, but they kind of looked down their nose at everything else, which I always thought was unfair. It was an early home to that kind of fandom that I really don't care for, where, what I like is great, and everything else is crap. And they, that was kind of how I interpreted their uh, the attitude. I, I don't know these people. I could be completely wrong, but that, just from the website, that was that is kind of what I gleaned. So anyway, I didn't really mean to turn this into a commentary on that website, but I would go there quite a bit, and it had a whole tons of information. You know, I wish this website still existed today because it did have a breakdown of what Lester shot, what Donner shot, and everything in between. I tried doing some searches before I did these episodes, but I really couldn't find what I was looking for. Now, the Superman Cinema website and the uh, Planet of the Apes fan site of all things, ForbiddenZone.com, they... There was an internet campaign launch demanding Warner Brothers to allow Donner to complete his release in conjunction with the film's 25th anniversary. So, in 2004, the studio responded with a statement saying that it was supportive of the idea. However, there were complex legal issues that needed to be resolved before the film could be re-released, and that they were addressing those issues. Obviously, Donner was reluctant to revisit the film, but the largest legal issues were that the required footage was still owned by the Salkinds, and uh, there were issues... uh, 
of using Brando's film footage in Superman 2 because they couldn't use that footage without the permission of Brando's estate. Now, Warner Brothers' estate had managed to strike a deal with the Brando estate in order to use his footage in Superman Returns. So that really opened the door to the Diner Cup being made because something Thaw said, and something I totally agree with, is if you couldn't reinsert the Marlon Brando footage, there's no point doing the Donner Cut. And you're going to hear me talk about this in the next segment. Really, the only thing I wanted from the Donner Cut was the Jor-El footage. Everything else, I was pretty much fine with what Lester did. But I really wanted to see, especially that scene where Jor-El restores his powers. That was the only thing I really wanted, and I was happy to see it. So work began in late t- 2005, although Donner didn't want to uh, get involved. He was reluctant, and he was filming 16 blocks at the time. And eventually, uh, Donner showed some involvement. Thor would kind of send him stuff, and uh, Donner would give notes. I'm not sure that the uh, collaboration went much deeper than that, but Donner did have some input into, quote-unquote, his cut of the film. So basically, uh, the film was, rather than just simply featuring the new stuff, it was recut from the original negative. So they pretty much put this movie together from scratch. And there were a small number of Lester scenes kind of used to fill out the film just to kind of make it complete. And the Donner cut has scenes edited by Stuart Baird in 77 and 78, and some theatrical scenes that were cut by John Victor Smith, and the large amount of new material that was edited by Thaw. And one of the things Thaw did is he didn't use many digital effects, if he used any. He tried to do everything, all the uh, effects, kind of as they would have been done in, uh, and I don't say Thaw personally, whatever effects house he was working with, tried to do things as they were done in 1980 so it wouldn't look strange with modern CGI. So that's that. That's kind of some of the, just a very loose background on the Dino Cut. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to take another break, play another promo. Then I'll be back here with Patrick Delmore and Dario Gonzalez to discuss the Donner Cut of Superman 2. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher. And I'm the host of the Superman Forever radio podcast. On the Superman Forever radio podcast, I talk about Superman from 1938 to present day. And in 2018, we celebrate the 80th anniversary of the Man of Steel's first appearance in Action Comics with a full year of new episodes, more episodes, plus new features like The Adventures of Superman When He Was a Boy. Superboy is coming to the Superman Forever radio podcast. Also, the Superman Forever roundtable discussion group, where I gather together some of the best Superman podcasters around, and we talk Superman. So if you want to know why I've been a Superman fan for over 60 years, point your favorite podcatcher to the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. All right, welcome back, folks, and I have with me uh, my two guests for this episode, talking about the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2. I have Patrick Delmore and uh, Dario Gonzalez with me. Say hello, guys. Hey, how's it going? Evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever time you're listening to this. Whatever time of day you're listening to this, good whatever. Hello. Yes, hello. Greetings and felicitations. The, St- the Star Trek fans will know where, I get, where that's from. The Squire of Gothos. God, that's, that's going back. That is going back. Wait, well, it came up on the little uh, screen there when they got to. Uh, all right, any I'm diverting already. It's n- <laughs> not good. All right, so uh, the Richard Donner cut of Superman two. The uh, first of all, you know, just in general, I want to get some of you guys' uh, thoughts on uh, 
on the, on this version of the movie, uh, do either of you guys have a, a preference as far as uh, versions of the movie? It's been so long since I've seen the Lester cut of this, because it's not that I know of that widely available on home media anymore, like new copies of it they're trying to really push that donner version right. i may be totally wrong about that but no you're you're not and i have a bone to pick about that so yeah i bought this as the three pack with the uh, director's cut of superman the movie and um what's it um superman returns all right. three in one to watch with uh to watch with my nephew and i watched uh the donner cut on its own before that and i was like there really isn't anything that i can excite you know, my nephew was four at the time, and I was like, there isn't anything in this cut that I can show that will really impress him. Right. And I was like, I can show Superman saving the airplane from Returns and, you know, most of the first Superman movie. But it just – I don't I don't know. Other than, other than you know, when he's when he's older, he'll like it. Right. I know he'll like it when he's older. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was great to see new stuff with, uh, with Hackman and um, Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder. Right. Love that. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're. You're right about that, Patrick. Uh, the the real story to the Donner cut is that it's it's the story of how it happened and why it's out there. It has everything. It has hate. It has passion. The, the backstory <laughs> of why this is out. It, it, it's it plays like if you go into the history of this of you know Superman two in general and you know how Richard Donner was not a part of it. And how Lester took this, uh, took this over. It has everything. I mean, it's a fascinating topic to get into. And, and you're right. I, had, I enjoyed watching it because of the new footage. But, and Mike, maybe you'll agree with me when, it, when I was a, a kid, this movie was in heavy rotation on HBO. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was always on there and it was always my favorite. Uh, Superman 2, because it took me getting older to realize, you know, what a nice crafted film, you know, Superman the movie is. But this movie for a kid had everything. It had that the fights it had that I wanted to see Superman do. And the, the original version is so burned into my psyche after watching it for so many years on rotation. And and, you know, you watch this movie and you can appreciate it for what's trying, you know, what, what he wants to do. And it, it's enjoyable. I, I do enjoy it. But what, like I said, what I found fascinating was the whole story leading up to up to Donner and what happened and why he wasn't there to direct that second movie, you know? Right. And and a little bit, you know, I talked about this with the guys uh, on the last episode. Basically, what happened is there was tension between the Richard Donner and the producers, the uh, Saul kinds. And as usual in these kinds of disputes, there are two different accounts. Obviously, if the first film isn't, isn't successful, none of this matters. Well, when they were shooting the first two films together, they got to a point in the production and said, hey, we have to finish the first movie to get it out there. So, obviously, if the first movie comes out and flops, they don't come back and finish. But since it was such a success, they did come back and finish. And according to what the Saul kinds say, Richard Donner was, was invited back. But he said, I will not work with producer Pierre Spengler. Him or me? Well, that's like me going to my boss and tell, and saying, you either fire the uh, vice president of the, of the company or I work. <laughs> you know, who loses in that situation? I'm guessing they kind of responded back, you know, thanks but no thanks. Your services are no longer required. And Richard Lester was brought on as kind of an uh, 
intermediary during the filming of the first film. However, he was not immediately hired to direct the film, Superman 2, when they came, when they came back. The Salkinds went through a couple of other directors. I believe Guy Hamilton was one of them. It wasn't right to Richard Lester, so they did uh, ask a couple of uh, other directors before kind of settling on... Uh, but some important things they did was, one, they didn't want to pay Marlon Brando, because if he appeared in the film, he, he would have been owed a percentage of the box office. Oh, yeah. It, it, it was a lot. It was a lot of money. Right. So they, that's why Brando disappears. And apparently it was the negotiations to get the rights to Brando for Superman Returns that enabled this, because mm. – Warner Brothers got with Brando's estate and they got the rights to all to all that material. So that's really what enabled them to put this together. And, you know, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I don't consider this a complete movie. No. It is, no, it's not. It is. This is not Superman 2 as if if Donner made it in 1980. This is a look yeah, at and what that's a shame. Have, it is. This is a look at what may have been. It's a curiosity. And. I kind of get upset that, you know, not that I have a horse in this race at all, but I mean, I own the, the, the Blu-ray bundle that has all of the, the, both cuts of the first film, both cuts of the second and the third, fourth and Superman Returns. So like, it's not like I have a horse in this race, but if you look at, yeah. if you go to Amazon or iTunes to buy a digital bundle, the version of Superman 2 in there is this version, which really, yeah, I don't like the fact that this seems to have supplanted the theatrical cut, which is Superman 2. It's been Superman 2 all my life. Yeah. The, the Lester version is Superman 2. And I don't necessarily like that this has supplanted that. Well, and you know, it, what you said is is true. The the, the, the kinders by by the middle of the filming, Donner couldn't even talk to them. Right. He wanted he wanted nothing to do with them. And and you're right, Lester came in as kind of an inter Mediary. I and believe he did some second unit filming too. Yeah, and according to Donner, you know, he was really hurt because I guess they became kind of friendly, right? And he feels that that Lester was being primed to take over this franchise, and it all comes down, I think, to money. Oh, absolutely. It was incredibly over budget. They really wanted to believe that a man could fly, and you know they weren't. And Donner wasn't happy with with what was going on. So, and and you and you can't blame the producers in a way too, because you know they want to make their money. It's a gamble, right? But I I think when when Donner found out, you know that that hey we're not gonna we're not gonna have Brando. We can't afford to pay Brando. I mean without that it's a and the fact that they told him, look, we have to use your ending for what you have planned for the second movie for the first movie. You see, it's, ne it's never really been clear who made that decision to, well, to use the ending for the second film because Donna Romanko would say it was their decision to use the turning back turning back time uh, at the end of the first movie, which it could have been because it actually did find the uh, shooting script for uh, for the first film. And basically Superman just gets to gets there in time to save her from the earthquake, and it didn't really have the emotional punch of her dying and going back in time. So I can see how they needed something with a little more punch for the ending. Yeah, and I think it I think it works better for the first movie. Patrick, what what is your what is your favorite um, ending that that would you rather have seen the going back in time at the end of the second movie at a la the Donner cut, or do you think it worked better in the first movie? Definitely, I, I like it more in the first movie. Yeah. I mean. 
it's still, even though it's probably been more than 20 years since I've watched the Lester cut, it's the magic kiss that makes Lois forget. It's not changing time. I mean, they had to, I I had to think that Donner might've came up with a better idea than the magic kiss, but that's what I, you know, grew up with. And And Donner has said that if he came back, he he would have thought of yeah. some, he would have thought of something to replace turning back time. Yeah, and and you know none of when when I was growing up before I became embraced in the geek culture. I mean, I loved Superman, but I had no idea about Donner. I had no idea about anything like this and all this controversy. I just loved the movie. Right. I mean, even the gigantic cellophane S. <laughs> That, mm-hmm. that, you know, it was always a, the bane of all kinds of jokes. I didn't, as a kid, I was like, oh, I don't know, okay, you can throw a big, you know. When I talk, when I talked to the other guys, what I basically said was that plays a lot better at eight than it does at 38. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, yeah, it, it, to me, that first movie is, is, uh, the first version is always going to be my favorite, but, uh, but I'm, I was glad this came out. I mean, 75% of this movie had been filmed by Donner. And they, you know, they had to include some of, uh, Lester's work into it. And just to it, kind of fill it out and make it, make it complete. Yeah. I mean, you had to. 8% was, was re, was refilmed or, or re-edited. But you're looking at mostly Donner footage. And he, you had mentioned that, that the project, came about with the remastering of of uh the man you know the uh superman the movie and you know they found all this this footage in a secret vault in london and and uh fan campaigns people would write in and you know and said basically i think it was um margot kidder that said hey there's a whole richard donner movie locked up in a in a vault i truly believe though there's only one scene that people really wanted uh, I'm interested to see what you think that is. See if we're thinking we're on the same page. All right, I think the one, at least the one thing I always wanted to see, the scene where Jor-El restores his powers. Yes, yeah, and you know, as a kid, we see him walk back to the to the Fortress of Solitude, and he picks up the green crystal, and then all of a sudden he flies out. That the, the scenes that work for me in in this um, Donner cut, I really. I, I I really like the Lois Lane uh, jumping out the window. I think that was kind of cool, and and Clark Kent, you know, doing his super breath and his everything to save her. That works for me. I like that, and I and I like the uh, as hokey as it looks, you know, in the remat in the Donner cut, the scene where he first reveals himself to uh, to Lois Lane with the bullet. Right, that I, was I really think, good. I think that works better. Then, then you know, he him falling into the fake lava fire pit and him figuring it out because his hand isn't burned. I I like that a lot. Um, of course, it, it's kind of funny to see. Well, because they, they cobbled together two different screen tests. Yeah, there were, were both of those shots were from screen tests from um, Christopher Reeves and Margot Kidder, and they did a good job cobbling it together. Other than you know, when they close the door, it looks like it's going to fall down. <laughs> a honeymooner set, and the fact that Clark Kent, you know, has a different hairstyle and he has different glasses on, and yeah, his hair is a lot bushier in Margot Kidder's screen test. Yeah, and uh, I think that that would have worked a lot, a lot better. Uh, Patrick, what what, are, what what scenes do you do you like? Um, I really enjoy, and I, and again, it's been so long since I've seen the Lester cut. So the whole Lex trying to buddy up to uh, Superman after uh, Zod says he's going to kill Lex is fantastic. 
You know, I really, I said this to the guys too. I really regretted that I should have kept count of how many times Zod threatened to kill Lex. Yeah, it was at least four or five. And I don't know why they cut because they start the scene where Lex has this plan of how he wants Superman to pretend he's dead and bring him back as a yeah. boxer that he's going to manage. Yeah, which I, I just love. Yeah, that I that think that is the the TV is version. Fantastic, yeah. along with the Ice Police. Yes. Yeah. Where they, because uh, you know, if you watch the Donner cut, he just leaves Lex yeah. in the fortress and then blows it up. Blows it up you know, <laughs> but. You know, the the whole going back, if, if what you say, you know, what you say, I'm sure it's true that they're pushing this set, the Donner. That, that's what it seems like just from what I see well, for a sale. You can buy the, the uh, theatrical cut separately, but it's just a shame that it's not included in the bundle. Yeah, I mean, in a bundle, if you watch this, having never seen the um, the theatrical release, you're going to see the going back in time, and then you're going to see this movie. He's zooming around back in time as well. Right, you, you, you're going yeah, gonna, to you're gonna think, what, they, what, they can't come up with something different? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, and it did. I remember it did, you know, from people who aren't necessarily in the know, it did get that criticism. Yeah. Because people didn't understand the ending was never shot, though. He just went with what was in the script. Yeah. But it would have been changed had done. And actually, from what I read, Donner was actually okay with using the kiss at the end in in this cut, but Mankiewicz hated it. Yeah. uh, Donner was okay with using the kiss so as to not have to repeat going back through time. I, you know, Donner wasn't at first, he wasn't really, he wanted, he didn't really want to be a part of this, um, of this whole remake. He, you know? re- he really wasn't. It was mostly, uh, this editor, Michael Thaw, who. Yeah, Michael Thaw. And, and, and later on. And did it. Spear, and actually, Thaw is actually in the movie a little bit. Yeah, his hand. His, yeah, he's the hands that pick up the green crystal. Yeah. Mm. And, and, you know, Donner kind of came in and, and gave, his, you know, his, his, his seal, seal of approval. approval to it. I mean, his name is, is on, you know, it, it comes up a Richard Donner film. Right. And, you know, I, I think they did a good job of working with what they had. I mean, you know, he, the, what I really liked, and I think it works, and a lot of people, you know, we're talking 2006, you know, special effects, great special. We're still in their infancy. But what, what was his name? Uh, Clow or the, um, the editor that, that put this together, you just said his name. I, I can't remember it. My, my, Michael Thaw, T-E-H-A-U. Yeah, yeah. He uh, decided to use almost period special effects. That which, were- which, I, which I thought was great. Although I will say this in the opening credits, that uh, animation of the uh, rocket ship going through uh, space yeah. missile, that was terrible by 1980 standards. <laughs> yeah, and I think there was some... some, some um, Stuff. There was some wonky animation in the, in the beginning. There was some, along with some stock footage of some missiles being being launched. Well, that's par for the course. Yeah, in would, a lot of movies. How many times have we seen the missile launch from Terminator Three and shows <laughs> and stuff? I know, but what 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 um what uh, opening do you guys prefer? I mean, we had the Paris terrorist Eiffel Tower opening uh for the for the original theatrical release where he throws the bomb up there and that shatters the phantom zone and here we had a a missile launch now i'm not sure i can i could figure out why exactly those missiles were being launched maybe maybe 
you guys can fill me in. Uh, well, well, but those, well, those missiles were from the first movie. That's what I was thinking. Those are the ones Lex launches. Those, yeah, well, Lex didn't <laughs> launch them, but those are the missiles Lex hijacked. Yeah. Those are the those are the ones that were supposed to drop California into the ocean. Right. Yeah. The, the missile that freed the uh, that freed them in the in the opening is the missile that Superman threw into space, the one aiming for Hackensack, New Jersey. Got it. Okay. Superman sh- fl- throws that into space, and eventually it hits the Phantom Zone, and we get a very hammy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Patrick, what what opening do you prefer? Do you prefer the Eiffel Tower one or could you or could you live I like I like that with the connective tissue between the two movies with it being the the missile that he throws at it. And again, it's the uh it's that you know works better for an 8-year-old than it does for somebody in their 30s. Yeah. Where you know, if you're sitting down and watching it's like, "Oh, that missile he threw it let them out." Right. <laughs> But I, I will say this though, I liked having the, the Eiffel Tower scene regardless. Yeah. Because you, this cut doesn't, you don't see Superman until the Falls Rescue. That's 45 minutes in. I like to, you know, especially if he's already established this is the sequel. Come on, let's, let's see Superman right away. So I always feel that you need, you know, some kind of Superman set piece in the beginning. True. To, uh, you know, to get the kids engaged. There he is right away. And then, you know, it's like almost like, you know, in James Bond movies mm-hmm. where you have that opening, uh, especially the older ones, they have that opening set piece. And then you lo- kind of launch into your story. I like seeing Superman, you know, you know, right away uh, doing something. Yes. So well, he opens an awning with a super breath, <laughs> an awning. <laughs> well, in, in order for Lester to get credit for this movie, I mean, he had to direct basically half. Yeah. Over he, 51 percent. Yeah. 51 percent. And and, you know, he did there. There is a lot of stuff there. But what I think the strongest thing for me in this Donner cut is the Marlon Brando scenes. I mean, I know that when, you know, Superman returns, you were mentioned that that opened up the possibility because the Salkheim still owned all of that footage. And no, I think Brando's estate owned it. Brando's- they had they had this. Brando's I don't Brando's estate had to approve the use of Brando's likeness. Okay, maybe I'm thinking about some of the other uh, stuff in general. Um, in order, in order to use the Brando footage, they had to negotiate with Brando's estate. Okay, but that stuff is this to me. That's the you know, say what you want. He was from what I, I always thought he was a little weird to work with, but I guess he was very pleasant with everyone on the uh, on the set. Uh, well, he he was very method. He, he yes. was very method. Well, they had the tape his lines to you know everyone else's clothes so he could read but you know it was it's it's just it's just great i really really liked seeing you know him you had mentioned the um the green crisp the green kryptonite and it's nice to see how you know what happened really in donner's cut and you could tell that you know that particular scene was was filmed early 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 in the filming and you have a christopher reeves that's not quite in my opinion, he wasn't quite Clark Kent Superman-ish. He was almost still finding himself. I mean, uh, it was great to see, but uh, but man, it was um, it's just great. I just I really really love to to see Marlon Brando. Yeah, definitely. That that was what I what I always wanted about this cut. Well, I want I want to go back to the back to the beginning a little bit because I have an initial problem with the opening scene. Okay, and it goes back to my problem with the end of the first film. We're there in California, and the Lois is amusing that Clark and Superman are never around at the same time when Clark is supposed to be 3,000 miles away in Metropolis. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like the narrative of the two movies brought Lois far enough to the point where she's willing to throw herself out of a window to yeah. prove Clark is Superman. 
Yeah. It's, it seems like it's much more natural in the theatrical version where, you know, first she cleans his glasses and sees his face. Then he disappears during the falls rescue when they're away from Metropolis and both are there, but not together. The progression of her putting the pieces together seems to be much more natural. In here, it seems a little bit forced. As much as I like that scene, I have to agree with you. I, I think that you could probably have done her sketching Clark, you know, Superman's uh, Clark Kent's face over Superman. Right. And maybe as a reporter, you know, she she's building up clues and evidence and then go on to the uh, to the whole fake bullet thing, which I would have loved to have seen. I would have loved to have seen that as opposed to him tripping over the uh, yeah. pink bearskin rug. Yeah. <laughs> Even as a kid going to investigate a honeymoon racket and Niagara Falls is funny enough. Yeah. But uh, yeah, even as a kid, I was going, man, you know what? I, if I put my hand in that and got it out fast enough, maybe I wouldn't get burned. Of course not. But but that could have been what you know. You you add up all of the uh, of the clues. But yeah, you're you're right. I, I as much as I like that scene, I don't see her throwing herself off of the. Uh, you know, even if you, a couple times in the first film, you see him just kind of you know having to uh, leave her behind, but you you never see that. You never see him him have to make the the lame excuse. That is so synonymous with Clark and Lois. Well, that that was always, you know, I think one of the best things about Christopher Reeve as Superman and Clark Kent, that it really is almost two different people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it just didn't seem like at the end of the first movie, they, they, they seem to jump right into that trope of her trying to figure out his identity without earning it. Yeah, yeah. It would have been nicer if they would have just had gotten, you know, like I said, connecting the dots slowly. Right. And then coming to the realization with the, um, and it, you know, she was firing a blank anyway. So if he said, what the hell is this? She, you know, that Superman should have been able to see the bullet too, you know? Right. Yeah. That was something too, you know, but you know, at some point, at some point you just got to kind of, kind of uh, let it go. But, uh, yeah, you know, you would think, you would think he'd see that the bullet head was a blank, but you know, it, you know, it is what it is. I do like, uh, like, you know, like that scene. And I do sometimes think that Lester does the humor a little bit better than uh, Donner does. Yeah, Lester, he was a slapstick. Um, he liked the slapstick. And in the Donner cut, they took out a lot of the, um, of the slapstick, especially during the big fight scenes right. with, you know, the super breath and, and people rolling backwards on roller skates, which you see for a second, but the ice cream flying in someone's face. And right. Again, things that play a lot better when you're eight as opposed yeah. to. Yeah. I didn't have any trouble with, um, with the less slapstick version. No. Patrick, what, what do you think? Are you were you a fan of uh, slapstick or absolutely? Yeah, because <laughs> remember, I'm I'm watching this simultaneously with uh, the Batman TV show Re-Air. Oh, so that's the world of soup. That's what the world of superheroes is like. And you know, I was young enough not to think that Adam West Batman was a joke either. Right, I it took was it bat- completely it was seriously. Yeah, you're right. When when we're kids. That's great. It's only became when I became a jaded fanboy asshole later on in life that you start going, well, you know, it's kind of silly. But no, you're right. It worked. It works great when I was a, a kid and like it. And I still and I still do like it. But they had two very different right. styles. of If, you, if you look at the extended version, the three hour version of, of Superman, the movie. I have it here somewhere, and I most I, of what's cut out when you to get to the uh, director's cut of the or the theatrical edition is Donner's slapstick. A lot of the uh, slapstick humor between old Ned Beatty and uh, and Gene Hackman, where it seems to go too far. The this cut reinstates all of that stuff that maybe if he made the whole film, like Donner would have 
deleted some of this stuff, like the whole in the courtyard with the don't say Psst, when I say Psst, yeah, that yeah. goes on for 20 seconds. Maybe Donna would have cut that out, but instead Thaw leaves it in because it's Donna footage. We don't necessarily know what would have made it, what wouldn't have. Although I do enjoy seeing the extended uh any more of Ned Beatty and Gene Hackman. Is, oh, yeah. Is, is welcome. Yeah, I, I, I like it. But when you hear people talk about, well, does Superman hold up today? The main complaint is Mr. Luthor, Mr. Luthor. That that seems to be one of the things that people says, you know, takes them out of the movie. But it's just such an important part of that movie, you know, and uh, and it's OK because you have an actor as talented as Ned Beatty doing that. Yeah. A lesser a lesser actor. Can't pull that off. No, and it's an and it's an important it's an important part of what the movie is. Right. But you can definitely tell that we had two different directing styles, and and that's why in some parts you know they they had to use some of Lester's footage. And Donner was just he couldn't even look at the footage when they were trying to <laughs> piece the scene together. He had, I mean, Donner is is a fan of Superman. Lester had had mentioned that you know he doesn't really know much about about right. superman and and lester also admitted that he doesn't have the same kind of well he doesn't have style as donner and he can't and nor should he shoot the film donner's way yeah i mean donner was very grandiose very epic but i do think lester's style does lend itself to the comic book movie mm-hmm. yeah and you have to look at what lester had to work with i mean he when he was hired, I'm sure the Saul kind said, "Hey, what? Make this fast. We need to save money. Let's get this out here." You know, and and that's and that's what he did. He, you know, he he shot what he had to shoot. When you have a 75 percent of a movie done, and he had a deal with actors who didn't come back. Yes, and so many people didn't come back. I had no idea. Gene Hack, anything you see in either version of Gene Hackman yeah. is Donner footage. And when they did have to use Gene Hackman, it was a body double. When the um, when the they blew up the hole in the uh, Daily Planet, and you see a quick scene of, of Lex Luthor walking behind all the action, it's a body. It, it, it's a, it's a, a an actor. Uh, a lot of a lot of the fortress stuff in the in the theatrical cut of Lex is a body double. Yeah, John Williams wouldn't even come back to uh, the score of the. I don't think John Williams could have come back. Yeah, he was working on the Empire. He was. He had to be hip deep in the Empire Strikes Back at this time. Yeah, but you know, a lot of people they they didn't, and uh, that must have been some justification for Donner. I mean, I I really I don't know if if it, directors are fickle people. You know, I mean, to hold a to hold a grudge for for as long as as I guess he did. I've always been a fan of his like oh I even I even liked the um his the comic book that the Superman story that he wrote with uh Jeff Johns, the oh, uh, son. son. Yeah, I, I didn't I really enjoy that, even though it took a year and a half for the end well, of Well I didn't read it I didn't read it until that story is what started my policy of not starting a story until I have all the issues in hand. <laughs> Yeah, because we had to wait a whole year or more to get the other issue, and I and I remember they had like a 3D issue that, of course, I I bought, but but I really like I really like that story, and that's how I I I started to figure out that this Donner guy that was had a, had a rich history uh, with Superman. And so the Salkinds owned the, all the Donner footage. No, so Warner, Brothers owned, okay. Warner Brothers okay. owned all the Donner footage. Oh, okay. So they I mean, Warner Brothers have... owns the movies, so they okay. own. That's what I, I know. What I was thinking was the the dream scenario for some of that stuff would have been if they could have used it in um, the Superboy TV show as him seeing visions of his future, oh. like the um, 
right the crashing into the statue of liberty like they show that to him and it's like you're gonna face a threat so terrible in the future and you're not ready for it and look what happens to you get a shot you know the shot of chris reeve slamming into the the torch on the statue of liberty would have been amazing oh i mean there's so much stuff yeah but the, yeah but then there's uh royalty issues for the like yeah. reeve and and like I said, like I said before, the, even though Warner Brothers owned the footage, they had to get authorization from the, from Brando's people to to use him. Well, what's it? Jorel on uh, Superboy was George Lazenby, though. Right? No, right. It wasn't. But but for this, they had to get yeah permission from Brando. So, so obviously, my favorite parts of this is the uh, is the stuff with Jorel. I mean, Luthor and Jor- Jorel talking to each other in the fortress. You know, that's just an exposition dump. Mm-hmm. You They're know, talking really, at each other, right? It's just you know that to uh, him to tell Luthor about the three criminals. That's you know it doesn't matter who gives that plot dump, whether it's uh, Jarrell or Lara, his mother. So, but there's a very big change in the tenor between when he gives up his powers. Yeah, because are you? I mean, are you guys are with me? Jarrell was angry. Yeah, but he, did you see the dirty look that he gave Lois as yeah, he's getting up on the ice block in a Superman T-shirt and stuff? <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. He's thinking, he's, you got to be thinking the AI is thinking you harlot. Yeah, and I really like that scene because I did notice that the Marlon Brando uh, hologram just looked up at Lois and goes, "Oh, you bitch!" He, yeah, he actually he was angry, and she recoils. Yeah, she did. She takes two <laughs> steps back. Yeah, I had forgot. Yeah, you're right. That was that was that was that was great. And uh, and you know, and after, from that, it was Superman still didn't waste any time. The minute he found out that Lois found out that he was Superman, uh, let's fly off to the ice cave and and yeah. uh, and and you know, hit the sack. Yeah, and and in this cut, they do it before he loses his powers. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, Dude, they're right in there because in 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 the in the Lester cut, he loses his powers, then they go consummate his bad decision. But no, this this version, they go, they don't waste any time. Yeah, well, at least he got a super lay out of it. Yeah, you know. well, he won her over so hard. I mean, Lois like normally would have been like, and then he just did what the hologram told him to, like a wuss. <laughs> and I stuck by him through this whole fight in the diner and carried him out. It's like. Old Lois would have, like, written this huge expose on what a wuss Superman turned out to be. <laughs> right. Like, you'll never believe what happened after I slept with Superman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I am such a woman that you will give up your superpowers to get – you've got to be a hell of a woman to get me to stop flying. Yeah. That's the lay, of the, the lay of the century, man. I mean, come on. Good. And he clearly didn't discuss this with her. Nope. No, I mean, you know, and they're leaving the uh, Fortress of Solitude. Hey, uh, you know, Lois, we can't fly anymore. We're going to have to hike through the, the land of misfit toys. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Look out! Look out for the pink spotted elephant as we make our way back to a diner in a car and uh, yeah, and somewhere. Yeah, how long did they have to walk before they got to civilization? It was oh my god! And I guess maybe Santa gave them a lift back, <laughs> or the elf that wants to be a dentist. I don't know. Yeah, you know. The Superman had to pay Santa rent. <laughs> yeah, and then he destroys the place. Which, yeah, you know, Superman should never destroy the Fortress of Solitude. No. But, but, you know, Lex Luthor's still in there. But I guess in this, in this episode, he doesn't, he doesn't kill Zod because everything goes, and you, that's another topic of discussion. You know, do those guys die? They fell into the abyss. I say yes. 
but but uh, yeah, we were talking. We were talking about that that in the last episode. What happens? Do they die? And uh, well, Ryan was of the opinion that they just kind of, it just sent them into a portal to the Phantom Zone. A portal back. Yeah, there is a Phantom Zone projector in there somewhere. If you look, yeah, somewhere. But you know, by now everything's broken. So I don't know. I'm not sure what works. But yeah, the whole the whole reset. I, I think the ending was probably the hardest thing, one of the hardest things to piece together. Uh, it just makes Superman kind of look like an asshole um, at, at the end. And, uh, you know, he, well, he, well, in the super kiss, of course, that's the first one. But here he just goodbye. And, and uh, the next day she's um, asking him to buy her a pizza. Yeah. Buy him a pizza or something. And, and yeah, you know, it, Having not seen the, if you hadn't seen the first movie, it's fine. But yeah, I'm much. I, I'll take the super kiss any day right. over, over this because that that is a great scene where Lois is getting buried and she dies. I mean, that's yeah, you know, it, it is. It's a the emotional punch. It's an emotional punch to his gut, and it's the one thing he's been defying his father for Lois for two movies now. Yeah, and you don't get that emotional punch in Superman two. You get punches, which I love. I mean, I well, love- I think in this version, the emotional punch you get is when he has to go crawling back to his father, back to his father, yeah, to 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 restore him, and he gets it. He's hysterical. Yeah, yeah, he does, and and that was you know a, a that, great scene. To me, that's the crown jewel of this cut. Yeah, I failed. I failed you. I failed myself and all humanity. I've traded my birthright for a life of submission in a world that's now ruled by your enemies. There's nobody left to help them now. People of the world. Not since I... Listen carefully, my son, for we shall never speak again. If you hear me now, then you have made use of the only means left to you, the crystal source through which our communication has begun. The circle is now complete. You have made a dreadful mistake, Kalel. You did this of your own free will. In spite of all I could say to dissuade you. I, uh, 
Now you've returned me for one last chance to redeem yourself. This too. Finally, I've anticipated my son. Look at me, Kalel. Once before, when you were small, I died while giving you a chance for life. And now, even though it will exhaust the final energy left within me... Father, no! Look at me, Kalel. The Kryptonian prophecy will be at last fulfilled. The son becomes the father. The father becomes the son. Farewell forever, Kalel. Remember me, my son. The the, the scene where. I mean, now you can hear the sadness in, in Jarrell because the AI has to uh, give all of its power for him to. Uh, yeah, this will be the last time you see him. Yeah. Patrick, what is your what's your favorite uh, scene? Would it be Jarrell? Would it be um, Would it be uh, the? Uh, it's still the uh, the interactions with uh, with Lex. I mean, one of the, my favorite, you know. Superman moments is just him after Lex says, oh, you, you know, used me to trick them into staying outside of the chamber so you can go in there and Superman just taps the side of his head. Yeah. You know, smiles what? at That's just great. Uh, you know, honestly, the next time Superman tells, some Superman tells me, like Superman is talking to me, doing <laughs> up these podcasts and he might be, but the next time someone tells me Superman is a big dumb brawler, I'm putting this scene in and making them watch it. Yeah. Because Superman is one step ahead of everybody and no, none of them know it. Oh, he is definitely one step ahead of everybody. And even as a kid, I remember that scene. And to me, that was pure genius. And I think one of my favorite scenes from both movies, and it always was, is where Superman crushes Zod's hand. Yes. Oh, yeah. Eight-year-old me watched that, and he's like, yes! Because the rest of the villains are dispatched fairly easily. I mean... Non-dispatches himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... That is just the best. It's it's almost you almost want more, but it's done so so quickly and just they just brush them under the rug really really right. quick, uh, which lets you know that brains will always you know triumphs over brawn, which is terrific to me. I I just love Terrence Stamp, and I would and to me I don't know if there could ever be any other Zod. Uh, no, he definitely uh, he he that's the mold owns the part. And there have been – I'm trying to think of how many other Zods we've actually had. In live action, just one. Really? Just well, oh, no, Sh- two. Two. No, the no. guy from Smallville also. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, um, like Michael Shannon and you know what? Man of Steel and the guy who played – I didn't God hate Michael Shannon. I, 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 I actually he, – he wasn't Terrence Stamp, but I like Michael Shannon. I actually, he, was very, he was very different. Yeah. I actually, a very different characterization. I remember when he first got – the part and it was probably they had just announced it i was working a flight from um new york to la and who's in first class mike gavin but michael shannon wow and i had always been a big fan of him from boardwalk empire and i just like michael shannon and of course i never get starstruck but i right. but I, I i went oh he, he had long hair and he was wearing a t-shirt and he was drinking scotch neat <laughs> and i walked over to him and I said, 
you're General Zod. And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, yeah. And he was generally surprised. And we had like the best conversation. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah that is. Just That's so, awesome. He was so nice. And I had just finished reading a book that had General Zod in it. What the hell was the name of the book? It was, um, it was some type of Superman novel when I read and I got, I can't remember what it was called now, but it, but it dealt with, um, with, uh, Jor-El before Superman was born. And oh, last days of Krypton. Yes. Last days of Krypton. That's what I had just finished reading. And, and Michael Shannon was saying, yeah, you know, General Zod is just a guy trying to protect his people. And, and, uh, and I said, yeah, yeah, I just read this book. You might want to check it out. Last Days of Krypton. He was like, oh, oh you know, and just by the end of the fight, he was calling me Dario and I was feeling nice. Like right. And, nice. And that, he was just, it was just real fun, real fun to have him. So I have kind of a soft spot for him, but any other TV Zod or the one from Smallville and then the one from. Oh, and then there's the one on Krypton. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they didn't, but, but Terrence Stamp will always be Zod to me. And. And and the people in Canada because whenever, whenever uh, there's a politician they don't like somebody puts up a billboard of Zod running for governor. <laughs> less less evil than the other guy. Now apparently this this uh, cut had a lot of the same scenes utilizing different camera angles and and I and I did go online. And, and even even yeah even stuff that from Superman two that was Donner footage yeah is different here. I wonder if that was done just to make it look different. Did you guys actually get a chance to look at some of the side by side comparisons to shots? Uh, they had some you know on YouTube. You can look, and I have to say that I I know, I know the movies well enough that I could yeah. do it in my head. And as I, I, as I watch the because there's a lot of stuff when I watch this cut, it's wrong. It's it's, it's the wrong. same thing, but it's, it's programmed. It's it's wrong. It's different. You're programmed for the other. Some of the shots I like. I like the shot where where Zod was ranting and raving that you could see him screaming and yelling and Jor-El walking away, which you didn't get to see in the theatrical version. Well, that's from that's from the first movie. No, they had a, a second, a different camera angle. Oh, a different angle, yeah. yeah a different angle. That's all of the. Uh... The stuff we see in the recap from Superman the movie, which kind of shows us the events of that movie kind of as it affected the villain, is all alternate angles. Talk about how they do recaps differently then than they do now. Because if they were doing it now, everything they showed in that recap would have been crucial to stuff that happened in the next movie. Like, oh, that kryptonite fell down the drain. Where is it now? Yeah. Why did why did she kiss him? That's gotta because, come back because she didn't she didn't think he let him do it later. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought the recap in the beginning of the film was something that that maybe it needed to be there, but I wasn't really a fan of it. I thought that a lot of the scenes were just kind of random, and I don't know. I I wasn't a fan of that. But uh, well, well, here's something I said about the first movie, and w- one thing is. One, for the first movie, it's very ballsy to set up your sequel in the opening scenes of the first movie. Because you don't necessarily need the trial scene to start the first movie. Yeah. You can go, this is no fantasy, and go right into the council into the council meeting. Because, because, because when you make this movie, you still need to have the trial again to introduce them into the story. Because, you know, and that's not so much of an issue now because of home media and stuff like that. But when people walked into the theater in 1980 or 81... 
to see this film, it's very likely they hadn't seen the first movie in three years. So you needed that recap. Yeah, apparently this sequel was supposed to come out a lot quicker than it did. It was really supposed to, to not be three years before they released this. But you're right. I guess you, you probably would need a, a recap. Uh, but, but maybe you wouldn't. I mean, the theatrical release didn't have a recap. Yes, it did. It had the scenes from the first film in the credits. Oh, oh, oh. Really? It did go back. Yeah. I think it did you, go back to the... Uh, I'm sure you can... Uh, yeah, Pat, I'm sure you can find the opening okay. credits on YouTube. There's okay. clips of the first film in the during the opening theme. You're right. Like, it, did, it did have that because they went back to the whole Zod thing to, to refresh people to let them know. Right. That, that they did all the Krypton stuff before the opening credits, and then you see... Basically, scenes from the first film. Now, was it scenes from the first film, or was it a different different shots that they re- in the in the theat- in the, the theatrical, theatrical version? Yeah, no, in the theatrical version, it's lifted right from the first film. Lifted right from the first film. Okay, guilty, guilty, guilty. <laughs> well, well, that that you see. Yeah. In, in the opening in the opening of the theatrical cup, but after they leave Krypton. And the opening theme plays. You know, you don't hear any audio from the from the clip, but you see clips of of him growing up in Smallville, of his father dying, the helicopter. You see random shots from giving you a summary of the first movie. Yeah, getting get, so you do have somewhat of a recap. Yeah, yeah. Now it's all it's all coming back to me now. I, I remember when this when this Donner cut came out. I I was. The first, I, I ordered that thing just the, the minute it was available. I went, oh, I did too. And I, and I ordered it and, and I had it here and I, I watched it. You know, in the end, I had to say, was it really, did they really, did it really need to be made? Was it a cash grab or do you think it was a labor of love? Because the backstory to this is it, it, it's almost painful because it lets me know what this movie could, could have been. been. Like. It's bittersweet. It's one of those things, uh, if it wasn't for the episode of the original series where Spock says to somebody, I don't remember what episode it was, where he says, you'll find that having is not the same as wanting. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I wanted this for years. I mean, I'd followed the, uh, there was a website, Superman Cinema, which was a very strong proponent of, uh, of this version. And they were campaigned for it from, for years. Uh, one of the guys who was heavily involved was, uh, Jim Bauer, who does capedwonder.com. And, uh, he, they were very involved with, you know, and I wish that website still existed because they did have kind of a blow by blow of what Donner shot versus what Lester shot. So I really wish that still existed. Yeah, so, I saw that for my, YouTube today. They, they were talking about websites that had blow by blow. But but basically what happened is, you know, and, you know, I read some of what the scenes were and was like, eh, yeah, yeah, you know, I was never in love with the uh with the op- with the opening, even reading it. Yeah. And especially with the ending of that scene was basically, and I'm glad this didn't make the Donner cut. Apparently in the script it has, cause I have seen the script, Jimmy and Perry kind of walk by the fruit stand and fall into the fruit. Yeah. And slip. <laughs> it's like, it's like really, this, what does that add to this? You know, so I'm kind of, gl- but really the only thing I ever wanted was the Brando stuff. Yeah. Espe- especially the scene where he restores his abilities. Th- that is the only thing I wanted. And you could have given that to me as a bonus feature on the DVD. And I would have been just as happy because I, that's all I wanted to see. I didn't need a whole movie. I mean, I, re- I rarely watch it. When I want to watch Superman 2, I watch the theatrical cut because that's Superman 2. Yeah. You know, and it'll always be Superman 2 to my, uh, in my eyes. This is a curiosity. This will never be Superman 2. Agreed. I'm, I'm glad they made it 
But part of me is just sad because money and ego gets involved and, uh, it could have been, I would have loved to have seen what Richard Donner would have came up for as an end, right. you know, and. Well, I'm sure there's a, a, a an earth in the multiverse where he made it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to get ourselves a cosmic treadmill and uh, we're on our way. It's a fun little, little, uh, prompt that it's not canon. It's not. Because it's, Superman can't beat up Rocky at the end of the movie if he went back in time and erased that never happened. Yeah, that is, that is a glaring problem. It never happened. He can't go back. If Clark Kent goes back and beats up a guy in the diner, the guy really didn't do anything to him. Right. Well, he. <laughs> it never happened. No, it didn't. It did. So, you know. And this version doesn't have the return of the flag. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, and that's a great scene. That's it a is. great ending. It, that, it really that, is. That is a great ending. I had no problem with that ending at all. And, and then Superman takes up, takes off and he flies around the world, you know? He flies to the, flies to the end of the movie. But just to end it with basically what, even though we're glad to see uh, Rocky get his, uh, comeuppance. Oh, yeah. It's super bullying. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Clark Kent's nothing but a bully, and he should have realized that, hey, you know, I'm just going to go back and kick this guy's ass. Just yeah, And it is so clear that this is all filmed. Both fights were filmed on the same day. Yeah. Or the same, because they're all wearing the exact same clothes. Yeah, I mean, and not to throw us all the way back to the beginning, but I guess it was pretty unusual at this time to film two movies at once. And it's still unusual. Yeah, yeah. It, it. I think Back to the Future did it. Uh, You're right, but that was the second and third. Yeah, and uh, and it was in Lord of the Rings. If they, hadn't, if they hadn't done that, we would have never. Well, Lord, Lord of done. the Rings. Yeah, that yes. that was You're right, that was ballsy on New Line's part. Yeah, to film all three at once because if Fellowship failed, then you have two turkeys on your hand. Yeah, and I'm and I'm glad they did it because we wouldn't have had this this Donner cut if we didn't, and I'm glad we do have it. I mean, yeah, I am. You know, it's one of those things. I was happy to watch it. You know, I mean, if they were to if they were to to re, you know, they, I read somewhere that you know what, there's still more footage, and you know, it could they might maybe they could do it again or something. But nah, let it let it die. Uh, Superman two theatrical cut is always going to be my Superman two. This is just going to that's the be, movie I grew up with. Yeah. This is this is just fun to have. It's fun to have it's, this. It's a fun curiosity. I'll look at what may have been. Yeah, just to see what may have been. May have been. Patrick, it's bittersweet. What is uh? What's your take? Are you glad this is around, or could you have done without it, or is it? No, I'm happy it exists. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a curiosity, especially like you know, I watched it the first time and had a really good time with it. Watching it today, it was several sits to get through it. Right. And you know, I did, I wrote a quick review and I. It's like I really only needed to see this one time. Yeah, right. And and to be honest with you, this was only the second time that I watched it, and I bought it in 2006 when it came out, and and I and I and I popped it back in uh, yesterday to watch it again, and I didn't have the I didn't feel the uh, desire to watch it again until we decided we were going to talk about it today. Right. Which is not the case with Superman because I have I have watched Superman and Superman two on numerous occasions. I've let my kid watch it and. And, uh, yeah, this one here, I just, I don't need. And you kind of get punished for knowing the first film real well because they, it's obvious they repurposed the music from the first film for this. Yeah. And there was, I don't remember what scene they used, they use that in the Donner Cut is, but it's clearly the music when the three villains leave, uh, Krypton. And I'm like, 
and we're on Earth. I'm like, no, that's not right. It took me right out. Yeah, you're hardcore. <laughs> There's only two movies I can do that with. <laughs> Superman the movie and Star Wars. Yep. The, the, from 77, where, where I can hear a piece of music and know exactly where they are in the movie. Awesome. Awesome. But, yeah. I'm, like I said, I'm happy to have this. I didn't need it. Well, I thought I did. Oh, I need it. One of the, you know, I, I'm happy to have it, but, you know, I object to the reality that it seems to have, and a lot of people's eyes supplanted the original version. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it's not. I'm sorry. I mean... It was never meant to be a replacement for, for the theatrical cut. It just... It's fun to have. I rarely watch it. Yeah. And, you know, if Lester didn't need to to direct, what, 50%, like we said, right. he probably would have used a lot more footage from from Donner. We may have had a different, like like you said, how many multiverses do you think there's different different versions? Because he could have had, he wanted to get his name, you know, up there. Or, or what would we have gotten had Donner agreed to share credit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. Because Donner didn't want to share credit. That's why they had to go back. They asked him. Because they, they didn't, they did ask him because they didn't want to go back and have to film stuff again. Yeah, and I, and I can't blame him. I mean. And I can't blame Donner for not wanting to share the credit. But, you know, some of the blame might have been on him and some, like, there's two stories, like you said. You know what? In, in disputes like this, neither side is completely to blame. Neither side is blameless. Yeah, but there wouldn't even be an argument if they hadn't decided to release this Donner cut. We would have been, you know, we would have had not even known. I mean, I wouldn't have. I, I, <coughs> I, it, this controversy is out now because of this Donner cut. And, I, you know, I hope it doesn't eventually surpass the original theatrical releases. And there's plenty. I don't think plenty. it could. And but in the eyes of a lot of people, people seem to, I think people kind of give less of the side eye because of Superman 3. Yeah, well, he deserved the side <laughs> But there's apparently a lot of fan edits out there floating around um, that are supposed to be pretty good, that that they've done a lot of good stuff. I haven't fished around and tried to find one. I made one. You did? I did make one. I have it on a DVD. Oh, nice. Very nice. So I basically, it's mo- honestly, it's mostly the theatrical cut. Mm-hmm. With, except I used, anytime you see Hackman, I use stuff from Donner. Okay, and and I swapped out the mother with uh with the I put the Brando scenes back in, but Ooh, well that would be you know other than the fact that you know we don't want you to get sued, but that is awesome, awesome. So sometimes when I watch Superman two, I'll put that in and watch that. <laughs> well, you definitely are a super fan, that's for sure. Well, you know that's the Donner cut. It is. It's really. I really don't have anything anything else to, to go on. You guys got anything else? All right. So why don't why don't we uh why don't we sign off and uh, start with Patrick? Uh, where can uh, people find you? Well, I am the co-host of Next Generation's First Generation, a uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation commentary podcast, where we are going through all of Star Trek: The Next Generation on the 30th anniversary of release date. So we are about two thirds through season two right now. Our um. You can find us on Lipson and um, iTunes, where you get your podcasts. That's Next Generation's First Generation. And I also, if you uh, enjoy the sound of my voice, uh, read books out loud on YouTube under the name Kent Kentley. All right. And uh, Daria? Well, besides being a podcaster for hire, um, I am the co-host of the Eat It and Beat It with Mr. Chris Honeywell. So if you like American erotica and food, be sure to uh, tune into that on the Two True Freaks Network. All right, and obviously you can find me right here. 
And I am also one of the co-hosts of uh, Fear of the Walking Dead cast on the network. Next time, I will be going back to the Super Friends. I'll be starting season six, the 1981 shorts. Uh, I believe it's the... Uh Six episode season, six six half hours for uh, for next season. So un- until then, uh, if you want to uh, send feedback, always welcome. Manascreen at gmail dot com. You want to join the conversation over the Facebook group and put Manascreen podcast in your search feed, and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. And kneel before Zumo. Yes, <laughs> kneel before Zumo or Zod. Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and samples used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright donors. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the two true freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.